my faves reading list here that I put up on the wall. I usually have one book that's my current fave and hashtag no BS tribe. This is uh, Jennifer Lacey and Jesse Hernandez. There's Lean in Love, nothing less from the no BS chief marketeer. Yeah, you know what? That's uh, and and Jennifer Lacey was just sharing with me that apparently I'm up for employee of the year. Uh, so I, you know, push final push to the uh, end of the year here, whatever. I just figured I might try to uh, lock down that preferred parking spot. Yeah, you've got to. You got to get uh, Jesse's got to give up his parking spot and then let you take his. Oh, if it involves him giving up his parking spot, then I'm 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 going above and beyond. Hashtag better, <laughs> yes. better than best there. Even more motivated. I wanted to ask you straight away, Steve, what uh, what do you hear? Because you've been to Japan. You've studied lean with the senseis. You've been deploying lean for over 30 years. What was the surprising thing for you being in Japan? Like one of the first things that you learned or what people from the West need to learn? Most people that get involved with lean or continuous improvement, especially with a slant towards the Toyota production system, know about the respect for people principle. The one thing that literally just slammed me in the face when I was there is how misinformed and how underappreciated that principle actually is. That it it just blew me away. And literally, I mean, I, I put that uh, in a, in a nice little way in my about section on my LinkedIn profile about that's literally what changed my career path. Uh, my story of how I, you know, jumped into lean and things like that was hashtag destiny. Um, but that's, that's what I would say is the respect for people and how intimately people and processes are connected and to make that connection in the right way is important if you want to succeed with continuous improvement. My custom shirt here, I've got respect for people on top. Nice. Continuous improvement on the bottom. And I tell people, we put respect for people on top because if you don't, you're never going to sustain continuous improvement. And inside that's of, right inside of every single process. And you've got this 4P model I want to dive into when we get into the show. We're just opening up, just chit chat. I'm just warming you up right now, Steve. You're just getting warm. Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple, collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days. 
Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. So an interesting uh, note here with respect for people, you know, you, you'll see a lot of diagrams and, and communications on the pillars of not Toyota in itself, but of the actual, not the production system, but the, like the Toyota way where you know, it explains it, where they're saying they put Toyota put respect for people on equal footing as continuous improvement. And I always pondered that. And I've, I've actually been pondering it recently on is it actually equal this is does it need to be equal and i actually had uh chihiro nakao my my all-time favorite i was so blessed to to serve under him you know i asked him that question one night at a restaurant are they actually equal and that's when you know again he reinforced their the idea of it needs to be like there's a purpose if, if you're trying to improve a process or a product for them it's just as important to improve people during that process. So for them, it, it is very much on equal footing, but I think in our Western culture, when we're trying to make changes in the business world, it's it's more about revenue, it's more about money, it's more about telling people what to do and not getting them engaged in the process. And I think that's the difference. Absolutely, I find the same thing. And the type of work that I do day in and day out, helping teams transform just like yourself, if I prioritize respect for people above the improvement process, the results are dramatically better. And I think that's, it's kind of, it makes it look easy because in the West, like you said, we're so hyper-focused on results, 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 sometimes at the detriment of the people that have to implement the work, that if you come in as a coach and you put the people first, you're just a different flavor that pe- the teams are not used to. And I think that uh, really opens people up and it's genuine. Like, I don't do it because I know that a side effect is going to be a major pro- process improvement. I do it with the genuine care and value for the people. I mean, that's why I have respect for people on my heart. It's right there on purpose, intentional, so that I'm aligned in action as thoughts and emotions. And there's nothing to me more valuable than the people in the world. And it's, it's kind of crazy. People have even asked me too, Steve, something is so trivial is just remembering people's names. And I remember studying this a long time ago. And a lot of the great people that are famous for remembering names, a lot of them say the same thing. You have to just care more. And if you care more, you'll remember. And I thought as a kid, like, can't be that easy. And even my father is super good with names as well. And it's the same thing. Now, he can't say my name to save his life, but I think that's on purpose. He likes to have a lot of nicknames for me, but for people that we meet and just being out, having a genuine care, it just brings something in. It's like we tap into something, Steve, that allows us to go deeper and and farther than when we don't connect with the people first. Two things there, you you connected with me deeply um, on one of them. I mean, that what you just described is sort of the up and down story of my career. I've been super fortunate to you know, I hit the wire mold company at exactly the right time when lean was sort of the in thing. Um, and since then, it's been an up and down roller coaster, let's call it lean journey of being involved with teams and getting to champion and facilitate teams where the intent or the intentions and the initiatives were 
were seen as a good thing and then not so good thing in other circumstances. And to be able to engage people makes all the difference first when it's, a, when it's about people first. And then just a, a funny little sidelight here, when you talk about remembering people's names, when you grow up with a name like Steve Martin, I mean, you know, today's my birthday. I, I have no problems letting everybody know today's my big five eight. Um, so if you put those years together, kind of Steve Martin, when I was in high school, that name was very, very popular. He was just kind of coming out with all his comedy and things like that and just sort of, you know, rocket stardom for him, whatever. So anytime in school, when in the first week of school, whatever, where everybody's learning everybody's name, it was always like, you know, the teacher would announce your name. And when it would come up with Steve Martin, everybody's like, Steve Martin, and they would turn around. So everybody knew who I was. I mean, you know, they were very disappointed when they saw me. It was like, oh, yeah, he's the short little guy with, you know, kind of quiet in the corner there. But I learned from a very young age because of that, I need to know their name. And if they don't have a name that's recognizable, but the importance of, yeah, my name's Steve. And I know your name is Felipe. So it's, to me, it's just, it's interesting that you, you say that. And I use that, I've used it throughout my career as, especially as a facilitator, making sure that I know everybody's name. Because if I'm coming in just to say, we need to change, and I don't know their name, it's, it, you lose them right from the beginning. So Right away. Yeah, I love that. I, and that idea got reinforced in the book uh, by Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence people. Wow. He said the most magical, sweetest word that any human being will ever hear. It's the sound of their first name. And have you, so man, to talk about doing your homework, you, <laughs> who have you been talking to? I literally had that, that training at Wiremold. Oh my God. I cannot believe it. I, that's a book that I read. It was recommended to me earlier in my career. And uh, it, it was, I think it was, I can't, I can't remember who put that book in my hand, but then I, when my son got older, he's probably about nine, probably nine or 10 years old. He's 13 now. And I thought it would be, wouldn't it be great to help him like blossom and understand these concepts that are timeless. And so we read that book together as a book study, him and I, we'd read a chapter, we would take notes down, we'd compare notes, we'd discuss and talk. So we had like a little lean action study team. Him wow. And I. That's awesome. Yeah, and I still, the journal that he used for that book is, I keep it behind me. It's right over my shoulder on my desk in a little leather-bound book uh, with his little notes and sketches in it. And we still talk about it, like, especially, you know, some concepts like uh, do not criticize, condemn, or complain, mm. because that's just pure waste. I tell him, like, you know, in, in my business world, sometimes people misinterpret the five whys for the two Ws. Who messed up and where do they mess up? And they stop there. So I tell them like, that's the same thing with uh, criticizing, condemning, complaining. It's just, it's a negative energy that is not productive. And I just tell them, you know, in, in lean Steve, like, you know, we're always very hard on the process and easy on the people. People are in the system. This is, uh, you know, some of my Deming training and I'm all self-taught Steve, believe it or not. And somehow I managed to land the most amazing job in the world where I get to implement lean manufacturing, lean manufacturing concepts in construction and agile software development principles and practices in construction and all self-taught, but this show's not about me, but I know we're, we're kindred spirits. You and I are definitely, I remember the first time engaging with you. I think it was a live stream I was doing and you just popped up and I instantaneously thought, Oh my God, Steve Martin is watching my live streams. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it served me well through my life. <laughs> and then the disappointment follows quickly. <laughs> no. And then when I saw that you worked at Wiremold, I was even more excited 
because I've read the the book of Wire Mold for, about leader standard work, mm. and I thought this guy's got to know something. Some, and you were and you were very close, and I was so happy when I finally cajoled you to come onto the show and share your experiences. So I'm going to welcome you to the show. Thank you. That that beginning part is just going to be part of the the introductory hook, and I think you did amazing hitting it with respect for people. That's going to just not. I don't, we can't say enough about that, Steve, because I think people, especially in the United States and Western culture, and you can appreciate Eastern culture versus Western culture because you study there. Side note, Steve, I spend half of my time studying philosophy from outside of non-Western philosophy, stuff like the Tao Te Ching and just uh, Japanese culture, just to get a perspective that's different than what I grew up in and what the English language just forces you to think. And it, it really shifts your thinking. I think we get a real heavy bias. I don't, I don't think people know how heavy of a bias the culture you grow up in influences just even your thinking patterns and what is possible and not possible. But that that could be a whole nother podcast in and of itself. I, I agree. And, and it's just amazing how well you and I are connected. Some of the thoughts that you've been going over there. I mean, yeah, philosophy is big in my life as well. I, I'm a, definitely a deep thinker. Uh, but you mentioned uh, Deming just in your, in your past, whatever. I was actually fortunate enough. Um, one of the very first things that Wiremold did when I was there was they sent me to Deming's Change for Transformation seminar, which was just mind-blowing for me. I, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but to be able to go back throughout my career and tell people, you know, when people would bring up, oh yeah, one of the greats, Deming and all that, I'm like, I've met the guy. I've actually talked to him. I actually bought his book and had him sign it. I, I literally asked Edwards Deming the question, look, I'm a young punk engineer here just getting into continuous improvement. Do you have any advice for me? And he takes the book out of my hand, writes something, closes it, hands it back to me. And I'm just like, okay, great. I'm like, what did he say? What did he say? So I walk away and I open the book up 10 feet from him and it just said, keep on learning. And then he signed it. And that, and he, it's, it literally is in three words. He literally wrote down in that book, what I was it hashtag destiny, what I was destined to do with lean and continuous improvement. Just keep on learning. It's about continuous improvement, whether it's work, relationships outside of work. Um, it's, it's just been amazing. It is amazing. I and and I, I just, I don't want to forget my thought here with the Dale Carnegie training there. When you, one of the biggest things that I got out of that training was the, was the whole mindset of don't worry worry is actually waste. Like if you, if you, you have to make a decision, can you control it? And if you can't, any effort to try to control that is literally waste. And that sunk deeply with me. Uh, a lot of people struggle with that a little bit, but if you actually think about it, if, if you can't control something to try to, to worry about it and spend any type of energy on it is waste. And it'd be much better to accept the worst thing that could happen. That's what we learned in that training. And then deal with that and just accept it. And then you move on. And that's really, to me, a mindset lifestyle change of hashtag better. You can always get better. You can always get better. You heard it from the man himself, Mr. Martin. Welcome to the show, Steve Martin. Woo. Steve, like I said, we were talking earlier. You and I are definitely kindred spirits. I'm going to say, I'll even go so far as to say we're soul brothers. I was just, you used the term brother and I was going to bring it up if you didn't. So I would definitely say soul brother is the term. Absolutely. Yes. And the more I talk to you and listen to what you're saying and see what you do, the more I think this guy, this guy gets it. 
I love that you just uh, were talking before the show got started about learning. And often, I can't tell you, Steve, how many times, especially in the construction industry, we hear uh, people say, I don't understand what lean is. I don't get it. What is it? Can you just explain it to me? And you just nailed it with what Deming wrote in your book. Can we unpack a little bit why that is so critical? And I've, I've said to people before, like I've been studying this for over a decade and I keep coming back to a learning mindset or a pattern for people, because now there's a movement against mindset for a pattern of thinking that involves the idea or the concept of learning and getting better. Where does that come from, Steve? How did you get so hooked onto that when you were just a punk engineer? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't hooked on it um, for my career, so to speak. Um, I was fortunate to have a awesome upbringing and a shout out to my mom and dad. So one of the special things about today, as well as being my birthday, it is my mom and dad's anniversary. So I, again, yeah. being kind of in the middle, I have a younger brother. I have two sisters, one older, one younger. So I'm a middle kid. Um, grew up in the middle of Connecticut. I actually wrote uh, something on a on a uh, article that I did a long time ago about kind of being in the middle. When your last name is Martin, you know you're not an A or a Z. You're right, li literally the letter M is right in the middle of the alphabet. So I'm, I'm I've always been in the middle, and I've always that's kind of the way that I'm literally. If you do the Myers Briggs, you know, personality test, which I did, I'm a mediator. So mediator, you know, being like in the middle, um, it's that's who I am. Uh, yeah, and so for me, I learned the mainly from my mom. My mom is the wisest person that I've know, um, and that's what she always, you know, she taught us kids at a young age that you can always be better. You're not better than anybody else, but the fact of improving your life, it's actually your life purpose, and that was one of the things that I love to talk about um, because it served me really well when I'm able to champion and facilitate lean initiatives for the better, uh, a lot of mistakes that the, the number one mistake that I see out there and it's going, it's starting to go around in lean circles again is, you know, people ask the question, um, why, why do lean initiatives, why are they no longer working? For me, it's very simple. Most people start on, on a continuous improvement event from the behavior side of things. They say, you need to change instead of a mindset start where it's we can improve and there's two important things there is one as soon as you say you need to change there's this bob emiliani talks about it in his in a lot of his books that he writes where he's saying there's this chasm between leadership let's call it and the employees the people that want to make the change and it's it starts right away when the leadership says you need to change because that instantly says, oh, that's there's you and then there's me and there's it's separated. But when you work together in community for the continuous improvement and say we can improve, there's a whole it, it literally starts the, the process automatically. That's so powerful. That's like a very minor and subtle thing. And as you were talking, Steve, I was flashing to so many different conversations that I've had with leaders over the years implementing changes and we get other words thrown around at the employees like accountability every time and i know this is a trigger word for for jesse and i know jesse's going to be watching the show for sure but when leaders use that word accountability yeah <laughs> fist bump, bump yeah. for you jesse we 
it is it is definitely a us versus them type of thinking. And I think Deming in a lot of his training hit on this very well. And it's not until you start to study a little bit of systems thinking or just understand that the way that the people are working now, and I think a lot of leaders don't understand this, Steve, is that it's a reflection of the mindset of the leadership that set the organization up, the team up, the company up. You're getting what you get right now because of how you think. You're limited. The pattern of your thinking is exactly what created the situation you're in. I'm speaking for the leadership. Now, the people coming to work, unfortunately for you or fortunately, depending on you know where you land, you're either in a positive, continuous improvement type of environment or you're in a, just a maintain environment. And in a maintaining environment, I think in those environments, Steve, we tend to see more fear with employees. There's a fear of messing up, a fear of mistakes. Uh, even some of the what we've seen with the Six Sigma trying to reduce defects, that type of culture and thinking sometimes has a very negative uh, slice to it where it's not okay to have mistakes. Because people are trying to say, like, we're creating an environment where there are no mistakes, no defects. And it just hits people the wrong way. And it starts to make them think like, oh, we can't make mistakes. We can't learn. And that's why I love a lot of what Deming did is all built on PDCA, the plan, do, check, adjust cycle. And it's all hyper-focused on learning. I mean, he just hit us over the head so many times. And he said it to you, Steve, just keep learning. And, you know, even my mentor, Dr. Jeff Sutherland, co-creator of Scrum, I had him, I, I got to meet him and he's been amazing my whole life and still a force of change in my life he said the same thing to me in the book he said he's his uh what he wrote to me in the book was something about if you keep doing this you'll keep improving all the time if you stay in this pattern and it's like the more i talk to jeff the more it just boils down to a learning mindset and just always learning and so that's why the whole crux of the show steve is based on the work by shingeo shingo easier, better, faster, cheaper. These are the four steps to implementing change with human beings that Shingo taught Taichi as they were developing the Toyota production system over the course of 25 years, people. We just take for granted. And I think it's nice to hear someone else saying, we're almost in parallel industries. And I think there's so much interrelation between construction and manufacturing. I don't really see a line and a differentiation just because somebody you know, sitting in Washington, D.C., drew a label and said, this is this industry and that. But the, our industries are so interconnected that it's, I mean, we're the consumer of a lot of the stuff that you produce, unless you're purely in a consumer-only place. Everything in the built environment, like even the factories that you work in, were built by people in the construction industry, right? So I think, from my perspective, we're wholly more connected than separate. And again, that just could be one of my philosophy different types of thinkings. And I've done some work in manufacturing as well, Steve, but I want to come back to your people process. You mentioned a very uniquely Steve Martin only special four P's. Ooh. Can you break those four P's down for people listening? Because Steve's got knowledge people. And this would be the part where you want to rewind the show and watch this a few times to get what Steve's about to drop down on you, because this is going to be transformational for how you work and not against you. And, and Steve's right. When, when we hear that we have to change, the barriers go up right away and I'm going to resist because I'm already perfect. <laughs> this is actually really good timing, Felipe. Uh, I, I just 
Jennifer Lacey, I'll, I'll, I'll give her a shout out. She just put a post out recently about uh, the, asking the question, what brings you joy? And I can deeply remember putting together these, what I call my four Ps. Um, it was actually at a time in my career where I had, I lost my job. I, I had, I voluntarily um, agreed with the company to walk away just because it was not a good situation for me. Um, I was not thriving. And, and the struggle was what we've been talking about is when the mindset's not there. Um, and I, I won't put leadership and management solely to uh, in the blame category there, whatever. I do believe it's it's everybody in the organization, but it does need to stem from leadership. Um, and, and it certainly helps. Um, you, you can be successful in continuous improvement without it. Um, but having learned from the best and better than best, Art Byrne as a CEO of Wiremold, um, when you when you see it, live it, and literally feel it and taste it, um, you know that there's a difference, and that's what makes the difference. So it was at this. My four Ps were developed. I, I did some really deep thinking about what actually brings me joy. What am I good at? Um, and I tried to, at, at first it was like this big, huge, complex thing. And I, I'm, I am a, a deep thinker and I love to, to ponder. That's one of my favorite words. Um, but then something hit me deep within to just say, how do I simplify it and make it very, very simple? And I literally listed the first three, which starts with the word people, because I am a people person. I love to talk. I love to share meals with people. I love to, to be in community with people is how I was brought up. So my first P is people who need help. I am very much a person who I'm the type of guy that when I'm driving on the highway, I see a broken down car, even if I'm with my wife and well, was when I was, when we had the kids with us, um, I would always be like, you know, start kind of pulling over my voice, like, what are you doing? Keep going. You're not, and I would, you know, we're in the middle of New Jersey on <laughs> New Jersey turnpike or whatever. And I'm like, this person needs help. That's me. I just, I see people who need help. They haven't done anything by themselves, on purpose, whatever, something would be their, call it bad luck, whatever, they just need help. I, that, those type of people motivate me. Take a step up from there. The next P is people who feel stuck. So these in my world are, the way that I think about it is they're people that have actually gone a level above that and said, I want to try this. And they're trying something, so good for them, but all of a sudden they're stuck. And for whatever reason, hashtag destiny, we get connected those people motivate me when they could Steve I'm stuck with this can you help me though that question Steve can you help me motivates me extremely extremely hard um, and so now you take it up a level from there you've got people who need help people who feel stuck and then the people that dig a little deeper and they're trying to really improve people who are willing to learn those people really motivate me because again in my career I've been in some positive situations and some not so positive situations where we're being told and we're being supported financially to make improvements, but the people really aren't willing to learn it. And it could be leadership or the people that are involved. And I'm not saying that I still don't try, but when you get to facilitate a group where people are literally willing to learn and they want more and they want to get better than best, that type of a team as a facilitator really motivates me. And then because I'm an engineer and it's, I literally was born this way, it is the way that my brain functions. I got the people thing down, I think, with the first three. My fourth P is puzzles. Um, and there is just about nothing on the face of the earth 
that doesn't motivate me more than a good puzzle. And I'm talking, it could just be a, do I have my puzzle? I, I have a puzzle here. There's like 300, I was just given it as a gift, 300,000 ways to put this thing together and only one correct solution. Reading something like that, I will, I will, I need to put that together. But puzzles for me involve people. They could be relationships. They could be how people relate to work. A highly complex engineering problem at work that involves manufacturing processing nothing motivates me more than that so that's my four p's steve you're an engineer's engineer and uh, as you're talking about that i'm even more connected to you like i was saying before we started the more you talk the more i know we're soul brothers i'm gonna reinforce that as a small child we were just hanging out with my my dad and my mom my my wife and my son and my dad was telling my son stories of how I used to take things apart as a child. And his, and he said, and, he, and magically, he'd sometimes, sometimes he'd be able to put things back together. So my favorite tools as a kid were screwdrivers and uh, hammers, for sure. <laughs> it was you, just fun. Literally, I, so I feel like I need to kind of let everybody know whatever. We'll, we'll make the announcement here because I need to hold myself accountable. This This will be a first on a podcast or whatever, I am in the process of putting together thoughts for my career and how my upbringing was um, with the goal of ultimately putting that down on paper and, and writing a book. And so the, the hashtag destiny thing for me has been so powerful recently. And what that story that you just shared, uh, Felipe, was literally puzzles for me. Everybody wants to know how, how, do you have the ability to just figure things out and, and, and put things together and all that? I literally grew up with a dad who was, he worked for Pratt and Whitney jet and he was a jet engine mechanic in the, in the air force. And he, he literally can tell you the one thing that you don't want to do with my dad is go to like an air and space museum or something like that. He will see a Pratt and Whitney engine from like a B 52 back, you know, 40, 50 years. And he could literally break down and tell you every single part number of that, that, that engine. My dad was very, very good growing up was, is he knew both he and my mom knew that I had this engineering mind. So my dad and I spent tons of quality time taking things apart. What I quickly learned growing up is my dad was fantastic at taking things apart, but he could not put things back together. And hence, I come in and just say, with my mindset of this is a puzzle, I literally had that desire and, and grew up with, how do I put this thing back together? Because for me, I have to. Taking things apart are great, but it's how do you put it back together? And more importantly for me, my mindset is how do I put it together better? So I would get cheap, you know, my grandfather, who literally was probably the number one inspiration in my life for why I'm an engineer today. He would, he would find these cheap things on the side of the road. He found me a tractor one time, he called it the red dragon somebody had just thrown the thing away and he said Steve needs this and he gives this thing to me and with permission from my mom and dad because he knew it was going to be dangerous but he was like let's do this as a project a family project let's get this thing running and we literally got that thing running again it it was meant to be a tractor and cut the grass but its purpose was so much it was better than best for that it, it never really did cut the grass although i think he did a couple of times but it was literally our go-kart and he talked yeah. to me about pulleys and switching things and how do you make it go faster and how can you get your younger sister on there and almost kill her with you know what you did to it so <laughs> i love we it. Are, we are definitely soul brothers yeah you souped up i've had so many fantasies as a child about making my own go-kart 
And hand to God, Steve, you could, if I, if my son was awake right now, I'd bring him down here and he'll tell you that I always talk about someday we're going to have our own go-kart track, our own go-kart track, and we're going to build go-karts from scratch. And I've always thought as a, as a kid, like just taking, you know, some cheap throwaway lawnmower engine and just seeing how I can optimize that thing to just make it cook down the dirt path and just have all kinds of cool fun on that. My best friend down the street, Dan McCarthy was his name. Uh, he was he was a tinkerer and a mechanic and all that. He loved messing with cars and things like that. We literally, the, I grew up on a circle, again, in the middle of a circle with that whole middle thing. Um, and one of, I remember it was like, I forget what year it was, but we called it like the summer of whatever year it was. And we literally set a goal to say, we all, each of us are going to make our own little go-kart and we're going to race them up and down the street. And we did it for months. And I tell you what, it, it was fantastic. The things that we learned about, are you building it for speed? You know, we went through all these obstacle courses and things. So you would, you, it was almost like NASCAR racing. You'd literally tweak this thing to say, am I slow, but powerful? Am I fast and nimble? Um, just fantastic. Le learning how to share uh, parts and things like that and learn from each other on, Hey, I saw what you did there. I'm going to use that in the next race or whatever. So amazing. Incredible. Stuff. Yeah. That's incredible. Steve. I can't believe it. I can't. And you, you're, you're such an East coast. Uh, and I'm over here on the, I grew up in Chicago, but uh, been living here on the West coast for such a long time. It's amazing to hear these patterns emerging from your life. I'm so happy that you are writing your book and getting it down. I, I'm going to encourage the crap out of you. Hashtag destiny. Mm. Everyone, when Steve's book becomes available, I will go back into this episode and update the show notes to make it as easy as possible when you're listening to the show to number one, tap that like button so that you tell Steve and I that you appreciate what we're sharing here. And number two, click on the link for his future book Ooh. so you can get that book in your hands and understand this Steve B. Martin hashtag Thank destiny. You. Thank you, Felipe. And that, that will be a hashtag destiny moment. And cool. the encouragement is important because I, it's, I get these ideas with the engineer, you know, cranking around my head and things like that. And the idea gets so big. So it's like, it's the lesson that I learned with my four P's. Just don't make it so complicated. You, that's the way you are in your head. And that's great when you're walking around the woods by yourself and you're really trying to figure out, let's take better to even better. So it, get, it can get complicated, but other people are not ready for that most of the time. So they're they just get it on paper, get it simple. Because I do, you've actually touched on it and I don't want, I can't say what it is. You've actually, maybe people can go back and listen at the podcast for a clue on what you might've said, but something very specific that you said is literally the crux of the book of what it will be. So I'm totally excited about getting oh. the thing together and, and writing it. So. Oh, now I've got goosebumps thinking about I, what the title is going to be. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think, and I've written a book and it, it's definitely something that for me, it was very cathartic and highly emotional. It was a highly emotional process writing the book. I can't tell you. And it was with the massive encouragement from my family, especially my wife. So I just want to thank you if you're watching this. And uh, this is for you. I have to say, this is for you. And I gave her this book um, as a gift multiple times. Uh, it was the, I, I got to use the rough draft as a gift. And then I got to use the final uh, hardbound copy as a later gift it actually sits on her night shelf on her nightstand yeah and every day that i i come home or go upstairs and and see it there i'm just amazed that 
it's there. I, I have tons and tons of thoughts. Getting them on paper so that other people would enjoy it for me is, is sort of the struggle. Um, and I've enjoyed reaching out to Jesse Hernandez and, and asking him kind of how he did it. And he actually posted on it about, you know, ideas and things like that. And his thing was not everybody is meant to just write things down. And he's like, actually was talking about speaking the text. And for me, that would be a problem because I, I get into either one-on-one -on -one or a crowd, or whatever. My mom always, she was like, stop talking, stop talking, stop talking. I mean, for me, it would be a 1500 page book if it was all about just me talking, but they said, you can, you speak the words and then you go back and listen to it and edit that way. So I'm kind of experimenting with that a little bit, doing a little uh, Nakao San moonshine with that process right now, trying to, uh, to fail often and fail quickly, but learn from it. Yeah, that's good. And then getting rapid feedback is super important. Like when it, I remember when I first gave the book, I thought I was done and I, I gave the draft over and people in my family were like, wow, this is really cool. And then my editor was like, oh, you're trying to write a pamphlet. <laughs> I was just like, wow. I was like, you are the perfect editor for me because you're holding nothing back. And uh, it was it was a small book. I mean, it really ballooned in size after we had some deep conversations on some goals I was trying to achieve. So I think, Steve, if you focus on, you know, who's the book for? And I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with you writing it for you and and people ask me like, who, who did you have in mind when you wrote your book? And I tell people like, I was writing it for the old me mm. and the old me was somebody that would just, you know, go to work and get crushed. Literally would just being, I was being worked to death. And so I wrote the book for anybody who's in a bad work situation and doesn't realize that better is possible. Like Steve says, hashtag better, of course. And so that's what I wrote the book for. It's an old version of myself. I wrote the book to inspire me. Like if I could go back in time and just hand myself that book, I would take it and just run with it. And I'm still fast forward to now. I'm still running with the ideas in that book. I implement those daily. I changed my pattern of thinking, which creates so many more ripples and changes in my life that I can't even understand yet. Like I definitely get a sense that I'm on a path. Like you said, like there's a destiny but you can veer and change course and totally ignore it. If you want to consequences be damned, who knows what's going to happen. But uh, there's, I feel like there's a pull to something bigger than just what I'm doing. And that's one of the things that drives and motivates me and pushes me forward. Do you want to write a book together? <laughs> <laughs> what you just said connects with me so deeply. It is insane. That, yeah. that is just awesome. awesome yeah, that we, connected. we can definitely, uh, you know, get back on the phone and take some zoom stuff and <laughs> make it part of the book. I used uh, one of my live streams as a chapter in my book, Steve. I mean, it's that easy. Yeah. It's, uh, and it was something valuable that people want. I knew people would find it valuable and interesting. And I think that's the part, you know, we get so into our heads sometimes, especially continuous improvement people like ourselves, you know, we forget the impact that we have on other people I'd love it, Steve, because, you know, you hit on something, too, when you said one of your pieces is helping people that are stuck. In my old standard questions, because I have standards, I used to ask my guests to tell me a story about somebody that's stuck. And I think you nailed that perfectly. And I don't even ask that question anymore. But as we're shifting 20 and season four, but I do want to ask you, Steve, like, what is a surprise? What is what is something surprising in feedback that you've received? from a team that you work with after you work with them? 
thinking of of like a just a mind blowing example of when I was at Wiremold. I, I think for us, one of the things that Nikal San Shihiro Nikal taught us was the was the whole process of moonshine and it, the mindset of moonshine. So real quickly, for those listening in, uh, moonshine it's not we're not talking alcohol here and all that, but the, but the concept it directly comes from that. It's about when you're trying to make something better. Um, and in secret, let's say his his whole concept of moonshine was don't make it complicated. Use what's around you. So the the analogy is the the people out in Appalachia, let's say, doing the moonshine because it was illegal at the time during you know prohibition and all of that stuff. It's illegal to actually manufacture uh, liquor without a license, but it's also expensive when you do that. So their thing was is I'm I'm making this my own. It's part of my heritage. So when you do that, you can't just, you know, set up in your front yard a still and start making it. People look down on that. So the idea is you go out in the woods, you have to find a source of water, and it's kind of done in secret. And you and you can't manufacture or purchase things where people kind of know what you're doing. That's the idea. So you you just whip things together, little scrap pieces of copper, you make your own still, you use wood, they use what's available to you. So this this process of moonshine in the continuous improvement world. Nikhausan, basically, he's considered the father of moonshine. And I was so fortunate to hear from him this story of like what he told about you're using rubber bands, cardboard, sticky notes, whatever you have to just make a mock scale of what you're doing. And the idea is it doesn't need to be perfect. He would literally tell us five minutes, go make it and come back. And and we're talking about a an entire production cell to make multiple outlet strips. Like and I'm, I'm talking custom multiple outlet strips, not the same one over and over again. Our the when I was at Wiremold, we we made 3,500 multiple outlet strips, and half of them were completely custom. And so he was saying, he goes, "You guys are going to do this." So you talk about feeling stuck. The team that you know, I was, I was fortunate to be in a role again in the middle at Wiremold, where I was both on the team, but being trained and groomed to be a leader of the team as one of the leaders. So for me, it was in, and, and the consultants did a really good job of pulling me in and out of that, that at one, you know, if I got too lofty, he would be like, but you're on the team. And then, but if I got down into the weeds and all that, he was like, no, 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 you're, you're training for this. You can do this. You can get better. You, you understand this. So where the team was stuck to answer your question specifically was we thought it was too complicated to make this system with the end goal being one piece flow, you're going to make them one at a time for us. Literally, when I was hired by Wiremold, it was Brooks Electronics Division in Philadelphia. Shout out to my brothers and sisters from Brooks Electronics. The the most fantastic group of people that I've ever worked with in my entire career. I mean, you talk about hashtag destiny. That's a whole nother podcast of just literally how that whole how I got into the lean, the, the, the game, as you put it. And the goal is how to put it into one piece flow and make it really, really simple. So the team got stuck and he just said, just try, just put it together first, do the moonshine. Literally what, what we were thinking was, is what I've been talking about is we were thinking we needed to change. We were all about batch when I got hired. We started off with batch um, and we were just making, the whole idea was it's easier and better to make a bunch of the same things. And I, it doesn't really matter that the customer wants type B, we're making A right now, and we'll make A as long as we can because it's easier and better. What we quickly discovered was customers don't really like that. They wanted their unit tomorrow. 
And these are like custom built units. So we were challenged as a team and we got stuck early to say, how are we going to do that? The mindset behavior principle was our behavior was we need to change. We need to go from batch to one piece flow. So it's like, okay, so we need to change. What are we going to do? And the behavior is we try to change. And the outcome, we got super frustrated. We got stuck a lot. And it was really, really frustrating. And what Nakao-san taught us through you know, Kaizen, that's the philosophy. Kaizen has been totally misunderstood as something that you do. Kaizen, if you go back to the original roots and actually deeply study what Kaizen is, it is more of a philosophy. It is a philosophy. It involves mindset. The whole idea, Kaizen for me, and, and I believe this because it's truth, is the acknowledgement and the willingness to make something better, that something can be better. And it's, and it's three things, people, processes, and product. There's a reason why those, I tell everybody, there's a reason why those are in alphabetical order people first, then the process, then product. What we were stuck on was the product. How are we going to go from batch to one piece flow? And he was saying, he, he was telling us, change your mindset. All you need to think about is that we can improve. You can improve. And he did it with us together. And he taught us that whole process of moonshine and saying, think of one thing, everybody split up. And he would send us all our different ways with cardboard and, and pens and pencils and, and rubber bands and say, come back in five minutes with an idea on how you can improve. And so everybody would come back together. And what we found out was everybody had a different idea there. I'm the engineer. So I'm looking at it from the technical thing. I'm going to the whiz bang gadget process controller thing, whatever. And hey, we can improve this software or whatever. Somebody else just said, why don't we just take this little tiny thing and move it over to here? And he, start, he started saying, Steve, what did you learn from that? And Felipe, what did you learn from Steve? And you start, that's the whole power of moonshine is learning from failures. So the, he would just say, so does anybody's idea here, did anybody make it better than best? Where we would say, that's what we want to do. And you would all kind of look down and go like, no. And he'd be like, good. And he would encourage you. He says, I want you to keep going. We can improve. You can improve this. What did you learn from looking at everybody else's idea? You would steal ideas. So people would steal moonshiners would, you know, that was part of the game was, wow, well, their product that they're making over there is really, really good. And mine kind of sucks. So you would, you'd kind of go into cahoots with them a little bit, but it's all, it's all got to be under the law. You know, it's in, in, you know, out of the eyes of the law. But then once you learn that, now you would steal it and, and try to gain market share, let's say. The value of getting stuck, people are stuck. If you can move to that next level of you're willing to learn. Just learn from your mistakes and do it in community. That's the secret. It's not somebody telling you, you need to change. Steve, you need to change. It's we can improve. The power that's there is literally for me is the difference between being successful or unsuccessful in my career as a facilitator. If, I, if I'm put in a position by leadership to say, you're the lean champion, go make the change. And now I get to go to the team and say, you need to change. I can tell you from personal experience time and time again, that rarely works. It almost never works. But if I'm given the, the empowerment to be able to say, we're with you, we're behind you, we want to improve as a business. And then I get put into that role where it's like, we want you to facilitate the change. Now I get to go to the team and say, let's improve together. Huge difference. And using just simple tools like Moonshine, is just mind blowing because you learn how everybody's different. Everybody has different skills. They think differently. 
But when you put all that together, then what you do is you steal the ideas, you go back separate again, and you and you make something new, and you keep going through this iterative process. And the end result is not only are you unstuck, but you're literally levels higher than what you thought possible by yourself because you leveraged the power of community and literally leveraged failures of everybody. And to celebrate at the end of that, to just say, so let's recap on what we just did. We failed well, together as a group. We failed about 500 times, but we chose to get better and, and say we can get better. And as a result, we literally got better than best. Lean Moonshine Secrets with yeah. Steve Martin. <laughs> thank, thank you, Nikhil-san. Oh, that is going to be the title of the show. That's amazing. Thank you, but Steve. Thank you, you Nikhil-san. <laughs> <laughs> Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.